Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. We've been in a series called The Invitation, and it's really this idea that God invites us to be part of what he's about. Ever since the beginning of time, God's been at work, and God's been inviting us into his story And so last week I talked a little bit about my experience in church and I made a little bit of fun about sort of church culture. And so I had people ask me, is that really true? And I was like, yes, literally I've been to a church where the stalls were labeled first John and second John. I've seen that with my own eyes. Had the little picture of Moses saying, let my people go, (laughs) right? And then somebody uh, last week, Mickey Mead sent me a picture that's been floating around Facebook of uh, a verse that's on the wall in some church's guy's bathroom. And it quoted like first Peter something where it says, uh, let your aim be right or something like that. And so that's one of those you'll get later at lunch. And so, so that stuff's awesome. I mean, I love that stuff because church is interesting. I told you the church I grew up in when I was real little was pretty quiet. You just sort of sit in the church and not really, not really make much noise. And so when I was a middle schooler and we changed churches, the first time I heard somebody say amen out loud, I thought for some reason, I thought that was funny. I tried to stop laughing, but I started, you know, that moment when you're trying not to laugh, you're not supposed to laugh. And then you try to hold it in. Um, and, and it just, it was awful. And then my preacher was one of those guys that the more into the message he got, he would get louder. He'd start yelling and spitting and bursting into flames. And he would say Jesus, but he wouldn't just say Jesus. He'd say, you got to live for Jesus, right? So there's, there's a lot of fun things about church. But today, what we want to talk about is how does God build a church? What does that look like? What does it look like when God begins to build something? What does it look like when God takes people from all walks of life? What does it look like whether you grew up in church or whether this is your first time ever in church? What does it look like when God builds something? And man, it's so amazing to get to be part of Sugar Hill Church because man, God's been doing a great work here. I saw a quote Um, from Pastor Chuck this week that reminded me of one of the many reasons why I love this church and I love Pastor Chuck and Miss Jenny and their leadership. Uh, The quote was Pastor Chuck saying, our heart isn't to have the biggest church, but our heart is to have the church with the biggest heart. And man, I love that, that reminder that God is doing something that's bigger than us, It's more than just showing up. It's more than just watching online. It's more than just checking a box that God is building something. So today I wanna describe how God builds something. When God starts building a church, whether it's Sugar Hill Church or if you're to zoom back and think about the church as a whole of all believers around the globe of all times, what does that look like? And so on your way in, you got a little bulletin, you got a little handout. If you're a note taker, I'm gonna invite you to write down four words that describe how God builds something. Four words that describe what does it look like when God builds something? Because I believe here at Sugar Hill Church, God is building something great. It's not haphazard. It's not like me trying to build something and then I have to call somebody in to fix it later, right? It is something that God is building that is unbelievable. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and if you've got a Bible and you wanna follow along or if you've got a device that you wanna check along with, I wanna invite you to look at it. Listen to what it says. In Acts chapter 16, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, 
we made a direct voyage, and the following day we went to Neapolis. So we're reading about a guy named Paul. If you missed last week, you can go back and watch the replay or listen to it. But Paul last week was commissioned. Paul was a guy that had been saved, but there was something God had created him to do. There was something that God called him to do. And so in Acts chapter 13 last week, we saw Paul get sent out to take the message of the good news of Jesus and to take it wherever he could, to take it throughout the entire earth. And so that's what we're reading about. In Acts 13, 14, 15, and 16, Paul takes that message of Jesus Then he begins to take it to every city, to every part of the known earth. But what happens when we get to chapter 16, he begins to hit walls. It seems like everywhere he wants to go, he can't go. Everything he tries to do, it just doesn't work. Every person he tries to reach, it just doesn't work out. And so when you read chapter 16, there's a sense of frustration. There's a sense of, I'm trying to do what God called me to do, and yet I keep hitting walls. And so this is a big deal when you get to verse 11, when it says we went on from Churaz, and then verse 12 says this, and from there, we went to Philippi. Now, Philippi in their day was an amazing city. It's sort of like the New York of their day. It was a um, uh, just outside of Rome. It's this important colony in their day and age. This is an important city. And so when Paul shows up to Philippi, he looks for a place to worship. He looks for a place to pray. He looks for a place, a gathering of believers. The problem is there's not enough believers in Philippi for there to be a church. There's not a building, there's not a synagogue, there's not some formal place to show up. And so what Paul then does, whenever there wasn't a synagogue, whenever there wasn't a building for believers to gather at, the tradition was on the Sabbath, they would go to a river and they would gather together by the river to have Bible study and prayer together. And so Paul shows up at this major city, this bustling city, there's no church, so he begins to try to find out where are the believers meeting? And what begins to happen in Philippi is this place that had no church, this place that had no building, this place that had no formal gathering of believers in Acts 16 ends up becoming one of the strongest churches known in the New Testament. If you've heard of the book of Philippians, it's a little letter that Paul wrote at the end of his life to the city that now had a church. In 16, it doesn't exist. And because of how God worked, he built something great. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive right in and jump into how God built something. Father, thank you again so much for today and the freedom that you're bringing in this room. Father, I pray that you would help us to see what it looks like for you to build something that's bigger than us, something that's going to last longer than any of us, something that you'll use to reach the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you're ready to dive in, if you got something to write on, something to write with, the first word that describes how God builds something is number one, he always starts with people. God always starts with people. People are always part of God's plan. And to be honest with you, sometimes we get frustrated with people, don't we? I mean, sometimes we get frustrated with how slow somebody drives in front of us. Sometimes we get frustrated with how long it takes somebody to order something at a restaurant. Sometimes we get frustrated with somebody that talks forever and doesn't ever make a point, right? We, sometimes we get frustrated with people. And sometimes I'll hear people say this. They'll say, this world wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for people. 
And usually that's an introvert saying that, that that's like, I, I just want to do my own thing. I want to keep my head down. I got my little spreadsheet. I got my little thing. I, I don't want to deal with people. The problem with that is whenever God does something, his plan always includes people. And what I would say to us in this room, God's plan includes you. God's plan to make a difference here in Sugar Hill and to make an impact around the globe involves every single one of us. And I think sometimes we think, well, well, maybe that's true for somebody else. Maybe God could use so-and-so because they're pretty good, or maybe God could use them because they've got it together, or maybe for that person, God could use them because when Bobby said Acts 16, they knew exactly where to look and how to find that, and, and, but there's no way God could use me. I mean, in a gathering like this, there's so many of us from all walks of life. And here's what I want to say to you is that God wants to use you. God wants to use every single one of us. If you grew up in church, God wants to use you. If, God, if you grew up outside of church, God wants to use you. If you feel like you're close to God, God wants to use you. If you feel like you're far away, God wants to use you. God absolutely uses people. So if you're a note taker, let me describe that. Let me just show you where I'm coming from on that. There's three people in Acts 16 that God uses to start that church in Philippi. Remember, Philippi didn't have a church. These three people start a church, and by the end of Paul's life, it is one of the strongest church. And the first person, A, if you're a note taker, is, is he meets what I would call a seeker, a seeker. He meets a lady whose name is Lydia. He meets a lady whose name is Lydia. Listen to what it says. So he shows up in Philippi. He, he doesn't find a church. He doesn't find a building. There's no formal gathering of, of people in a building that, like we would think of a church. And so it says in verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside. So he followed the tradition. If there's not a building, head down to the river. So he goes down to the riverside where we suppose, listen to what it says, where we suppose there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. So, so there's a group of ladies there. I don't know, you know what they're studying. I don't know if they have the latest Beth Moore Bible study. I don't know if they have the latest Christine Kane book. I don't know if they're comparing Pinterest pins. That they, I, you know, I, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but when they gather together, they're at least doing one thing. They're at least praying. And so Paul shows up and there's this group of leaders that are gathered there to pray. And listen to what it says in the very next verse. It says, verse 14, and one who heard us was a woman whose name was Lydia. So we meet Lydia. And here's what it goes on to say about Lydia. She's from the city of Thyatira. She's a seller of purple goods and she's a worshiper of God. And so in this one little verse, here's what we learn. He meets a lady who's a seller of purple. So in her day and age, she's got fashion figured out. She's one of these fashion people. She's the fashionista of her day. And apparently she's doing pretty good because it says she's from Thyatira, which is like LA of their day. But now she's in Philippi. That's like the New York of the day. So apparently she's doing really well to be able to go back and forth and to have houses in both of these places. She's rolling in it. She's a businesswoman. She's one of these people that knows how to put outfits together. I don't know if they had the bedazzler back then, but if so, she's the bedazzler of her day. She's one of those people that gets fashion and she's really good at it. Now, I don't get fashion. I'm married to my wife, Laura. She's Miss Fashionista. She's like a fashion ninja. She, you just uh, put her loose in a secondhand store. She'll spend six bucks and 50 cents and have like four outfits to show for it. 
right? Or you talk to Tracy down here. She's got shoes to go with every, right? Some people just get that. I don't get it. Man, as a single guy, I just wore whatever was easy and whatever was clean. And as a single guy, my way of figuring out what I was going to wear is to look at the two piles of clothes I had. Two piles as a single guy was dirty that needs washing and dirty I can probably wear one more time. I loved it when Febreze came out, right? And so now that I'm married, my wife, so anytime somebody compliments me on my shoes or how I dress, it's always the days that she picked out what I'm wearing, right? So some of you are that, that way. Y'all, y'all get fashion or maybe you're not fashion, but you work in the world and you've got some business that you're good at. So that's the first person is, hey, Lydia. She's a seeker of God. Here's what it says about her. I, I read this phrase, but I wanna make sure you catch it. It, it says down in verse 14, it says, um, right in the middle of it, it says a worshiper of God. That's a big deal. Philippi is a colony of Rome. Rome was a pagan culture. They literally worshiped all kinds of false gods. Uh, they, they, they had temples to false gods. They were a very pagan society that said, you can worship whatever God you want to. If you don't know the name of the God, you can make it up and just worship that God. Whatever is true for you, you can just worship. I mean, it was just crazy. We were there a couple months ago. We were in Rome and we went to what's called the Roman Forum, which is the stretch of land right in the city of, right in the center of Rome that dates back thousands of years. And it was just mind boggling to walk through the Roman Forum and to literally walk past uh, the temple that was set up to worship Venus. Or uh, later in our trip, we went like 10, 15 minutes away to a place called the Pantheon. And the Pantheon is this beautiful round building. It's got the, the sort of the dome on top and the, and the hole in the center. And it's this famous building. But to walk into that building and to realize that thousands of years ago, people were worshiping false gods in this room. It's kind of eerie. It's kind of creepy. But that's the way Rome, Rome was. That's the way Roman colonies were. And so here's what we know about Lydia. Lydia lives in a secular society. She lives in a pagan culture, but she doesn't know everything about God, but she knows enough to know there is one true God. And so she shows up at prayer meetings. She shows up at the river. She shows up to worship God. And then the moment that Paul shows up, listen to what it says at the end of verse 14. It says, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after that, she was baptized. So one of the first people that helped start one of the greatest churches that has ever existed was a seeker. And maybe some of you, that, maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're here, but you're not totally bought in. Maybe you're watching online and, and you don't really know where you stand in this, but you're here. You're like, I'll, I'll try this. I'll sing this. I'll, I'll look at the verse. I'm here. Sometimes people come to church are what I call CEO Christians. Christmas, Easter and other special occasions, right? And they, they're like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And I'm so grateful they're here, why? Because that's where Lydia started. She's like, I'm here and God met her and her life changed forever. So God uses people. The first person he uses is a seeker named Lydia. The second person God uses, if you wanna write them down, is not A, the seeker, but B, the slave girl, the slave girl. So immediately after this happens, Paul begins to go on to his next place and listen to what it says in verse 16. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. We don't know her name. We don't know a lot about her, but here's what we do know about her. Verse 16, we, met, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination inside of her. 
So this girl is possessed by an evil spirit. She is literally spiritually possessed by something. And she's got owners. She's got people that are older than her that ought to take care of her. But instead of taking care of her, they exploit her possession to make money. So the second girl we meet that helped start this great church is a girl that was literally possessed, that she was uh, abused, she was taken advantage of, she had people that knew better but took advantage of her. And here's what it says in verse 16, they met a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and it brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Verse uh, 17, she followed Paul and us crying out, and here's what she said, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So what she says is absolutely true, but apparently the way that she's saying it caused more distraction. It caused more harm than good. She's yelling everywhere they go. These men are servants of the most high God. These men are servants. And she's just yelling it so loud that Paul gets ticked off. I love this. Look, look in your Bibles at verse 17. It says, she followed Paul and us crying out. These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned to her and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. I love that verse. I love how honest the Bible is. Most of the time, whenever we've got Bible memory verses or Bible t-shirt verses, you know, verses you put on t-shirt, most of the time it's like a happy verse and the Lord added to their days or God gave them peace. I think it would be super cool to have a t-shirt that says, uh, Paul turned to her greatly annoyed. I think that's a verse I can memorize. That's a verse I can get with, right? And so we meet these people. We meet Lydia, who's a seeker. We meet a slave girl who comes to know Jesus. Then the third person, C, that helps start this church is a soldier, is a soldier. Three unlikely people, three people from all walks of life. So what happens is Paul delivers the spirit out of the girl and her owners get ticked off. Her owners that used to make money off of her, the owners that used to have her tell their fortune and, and earn money, they're mad because now they can't make any money off of this girl. Now this girl is a follower of Jesus. And so these guys that used to make money off of her have Paul and his friends thrown into jail. And the, the, the word that's given to the jailer, when you look at verse 23, it says, when they had inflicted many blows, so literally they beat Paul up. When they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. So the official record is keep them safe, but instead what the jailer does in verse 24 is it says, having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. In other words, this guy's told keep them safe and instead he locks them up and he doesn't just lock them up in stocks like we, we picture going to um, you know, Dollywood or to uh, you know, some theme park where they've got sort of the deal, you stick your head through, you stick your hands through, and you, you know, it's a photo op. In Rome, when you put somebody in stocks, they would, they would lock you in all of these crazy positions. And the point was to inflict a lot of pain. Oftentimes, a soldier that is now a jailer was somebody that was a soldier that was on the front lines at one point. And they were on the front lines and they did some awful things. And now as a way of retirement, Rome would put them in charge of a jail. 
And so this guy has seen some bad stuff. This guy has been in horrific situations. Because if you know your history, Rome was not very nice to non-Romans. Rome wanted to inflict and to put fear inside everybody else in the countryside. And so there are times in history where Rome would literally kill like 20,000 people in a day. They would crucify men and women and kids on trees, on walls, wherever they could. Man, Rome was not a nice place to people that weren't Romans. And so there were times in, in history where blood's just flowing through the, the city streets. And so this soldier has probably seen some stuff. This soldier has seen some stuff he wished he could unsee. This soldier now in his retirement has anger problems. This guy has seen some stuff that has messed with his heart, messed with his mind. He's got some bitterness. He's got some anger. He's got some junk he's dealing with. So now he's a jailer and he's inflicting pain on other people. And yet God uses a fashion girl. God uses a slave girl and he uses this soldier to start a church. I don't know if you feel more like Lydia. Some of you, maybe you feel like the slave girl where there's been stuff done to you. Maybe you feel like the soldier, you've seen some stuff and you've got some anger, you've got some, maybe you see yourself in a combination of all of these things. But regardless of where you're at, God can use you. God can use you. There's nobody that's too far gone. There's, there, there's nobody that doesn't have it together enough. Man, if God can use these three people, he can use any one of us. The plan of God has always been to use people. So the first word that describes this is number one, people. The second word that describes how God builds something beautiful is not just people, but God often uses seasons of pain. God often uses seasons of pain in our life. I think for some of us, we have this mentality that the moment I say yes to God, then my life ought to be perfect, that everything ought to go great, that everything ought to be amazing. And then when we go through seasons of pain, we get bitter. Because if we have this mentality, everything ought to be great, everything ought to be smooth sailing, everything ought to go well, and then we hit a rough patch, the temptation is to think, well, maybe this isn't working, maybe I put my faith in the wrong person, maybe, maybe this isn't gonna pan out, and if we're not careful, we'll allow pain to cause us to get bitter because of that false assumption that things ought to be easy. But man, I'm telling you, if you were to take a few minutes and read through the rest of the book of Acts, you read about Paul, you read about his, his friends, you read about them doing the right thing, and yet the closer they get to doing the right thing, often the harder their life became. And I think that's true in our lives as well, that when we're not really living for God, the enemy has no reason to attack us. When we're not doing what God's asked us to do, there's no reason for the enemy to show up and to run us through the ringer. And so sometimes when we're not living for God, it seems like life may be more peaceful, but the moment we say yes to God, the moment we say yes to whatever it is he wants us to do, whatever that next step is in our faith, whether it's to be saved, whether it's to be baptized, whether it's to join a group, whether it's to go on a mission trip, whether it's to reach out to that neighbor down the street that doesn't have anybody to reach out to them, whether it's to serve your aging parents, what, whatever that may be, usually 
When we say yes to whatever God has for us, that's when the enemy begins to take notice. That's when we become a threat to the enemy and it's almost like a target is placed on our life. I don't know if that makes sense, but when, when we're not living for God, there's no reason to be attacked. But the moment we say yes, we become a threat to the enemy and the enemy wants to undo whatever God's doing. The enemy doesn't want there to be a healthy church in Philippi. The enemy doesn't want there to be a healthy church in Sugar Hill. And so the moment we say yes, the enemy begins to attack. And so the reason why I say that today is so we can expect it so that we're not caught off guard so that when something happens in life and something's gonna happen in life, we don't, we don't get bitter, but instead we do like Paul does. If you wanna write down this reference, just write down Philippians chapter one, Philippians chapter one, verse 12. Paul writes to the Philippian church at the end of his life and he's locked up in jail. And even though he has a season of pain, even though he's in and out of jail over and over and over again, Paul basically says in Philippians one, but because I'm in jail, the gospel is still going forward. In other words, instead of getting bitter about the pain, Instead of being offended by the pain, Paul allowed his pain to become a platform. Paul allowed his pain to become a conversation starter for him to take the hope of Jesus and what Jesus did in his life and to give it away to others. And I think the reason, one of the many reasons why God rescues us, and one of the reasons why God leaves us on this earth, and one of the reasons why God gives us all different personalities and different giftings and, and, and different ways of doing life is so that wherever we go, we would be ambassadors of hope, that wherever we'd go, we'd take what God has done in us and allow him to do it through us. And so that's part of God building something. And so these are all elements. God uses people, and in the middle of using people, there's seasons of pain. And I think through those seasons of pain, instead of getting bitter about it, allow them to become a platform because I think pain is a great playground for us to grow in our faith. So it starts with people. We go through seasons of pain. And then number three, the third word that describes how God builds this great church is through his presence. It's through his presence. And so as Paul's going from place to place, from city to city, as Paul's planting churches, he's not doing it out of his own strength. He's not doing it out of his own ability. He's not, he didn't just sit back one day and say, all right, I'm gonna create a five-year plan. Here's my goal. Now I'm gonna back up and here's steps to get there. I'm gonna make this happen myself. Instead, listen to this one little phrase. When Paul sees that girl that is possessed by an evil spirit, it says down in verse 18, he said, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ. The reason why Paul could help, the reason why Paul could give hope, the reason why Paul could do any of this stuff was because of what Jesus did for him on the cross. And so when Paul sees this girl, he doesn't say, in the name of Paul, I command you to come out. Or when you see the, the disciples doing this in the gospels, they don't say, in my name, I, I cast you out, or in my name, I declare this. Instead, Paul is operating by the authority of Jesus himself. And so he looks at this girl and says, in the name 
of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. That's why we sing his name. That's why we pray in his name because we are able to live the life that he's called us to live. Why? Because he places his spirit inside of us. I know that you know this, but this bears repeating just for clarity's sake. When he says in the name of Jesus Christ, you know that Christ is not his last name, right? His first name is not Jesus, his last name Christ. He's not from the Christ family. There's not, there's not a mailbox somewhere in history that says the Christ family lives here, right? That's not his last name. Jesus is his name and Christ is his title or his position. Christ literally means that he's the anointed one of God. Christ literally means that he's the Messiah. He's the one that can take away sin, scars. He's the one that can give forgiveness. Jesus, the Christ. And so all throughout the Old Testament, there would be moments where the spirit of God would come and rest on people. All, all throughout the Old Testament, there would be just glimpses where for a season or for a moment, the spirit of God would come down. And for a, for a moment, for a temporary moment, the spirit of God would give somebody his power to do something. I mean, you read about Joseph in the book of Genesis, or you, you read about Samson, or there, there's all these moments. Joshua, there are little glimpses in the Old Testament where for a moment, the Spirit of God would be on somebody and there would be power. But by the time you get to the book of Acts, after Jesus dies on the cross, he returns back to heaven, the Holy Spirit of God that used to just be on people for a moment now comes to live inside of believers. His presence is what gives us the power to live the life that he's called us to live. He doesn't say, good luck. I hope you figure that out. He doesn't say, good luck. I hope you get that. Instead, his presence comes to live inside of us. And the reason why God's able to build something in and through Sugar Hill or in and through where we work or in and through wherever we go is because his presence makes us powerful. So God starts with people. He even uses pain. His presence gives us the power we need. And then finally, number four, the last word that describes how God builds the church is when he does it, it is productive. It's productive. Whenever God's at work, things change. Whenever God's at work, people's lives are changed. And so when you read through the gospels, wherever Jesus showed up, things changed. Blind people got sight, dead people came back to life. People that were mourning turned into happiness. People that couldn't hear could hear again. I mean, throughout wherever Jesus shows up, things change. And then when you read the, the book of Acts, you see the same thing. I mean, just chapter 16 alone, you read all of these actions that take place. You, you read in verse 14, where the Lord opens the eyes of Lydia. Then you read in verse eight, uh, 16, as they're going forth, they, they run into the slave girl. You, you read about in verse 18, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. Then you get to verse 25 and following where they're locked up in a jail cell and there's this earthquake and all the shackles fall off of Paul and all all the other prisoners and the jailer wakes up this hardened criminal, this, this hardened, well, not a, not a criminal, but this hardened soldier that has seen pain and death and blood. He wakes up and he sees the, the earthquake has opened all the prison doors and he assumes all the prisoners are gone. And in their culture, if a prisoner escaped from your jail, then you would be killed. 
And so this jailer, this former soldier, expects that he's gonna die because he assumes the doors have opened up, everybody must have run off. So he's literally taking his sword about to kill himself. And Paul calls out and says, we're all still here. And listen, I wish we had time to read this whole passage, but listen to this. Paul says in verse 28, do not harm yourself. Verse 30, then he brought them out and the jailer says this, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of God to him. And this hardened guy has his life forever changed. Wherever the church is alive, things change. What happened in Philippi is it started with three unlikely people, with Lydia, a fashionista, with a slave girl that was possessed by a spirit and a soldier that had a hard heart. And what God began to do is he planted a church and over time that church began to grow and grow and grow. And one of the reasons why we're able to gather here today is because God started building something 2000 years ago that has stood the test of time and it changes the world. And so I, 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 don't, I don't know what your day-to-day -day looks like. I, I don't know where you work. I don't know what you do, but what I do know is that wherever you go, you're meant to be an ambassador and exporter of hope. So whether you work in the political realm, you've got great influence and you're to be an exporter into that world, hope. Whether you work in the education system, man, you're to, be, you're to carry that hope into your day-to-day -day life. Whether you work in the private sector, whether you're in arts and entertainment, wh whether you're a stay-at-home mom, wherever God places you, God wants to use you to build something that is bigger than you. Here at Sugar Hill Church, we don't wanna be the biggest church, but we wanna have a big heart and we wanna help other people that feel like they're far off come close to him. And I believe God wants to use you and me to do it. One of our friends of Sugar Hill Church is a guy named Reggie Joyner. And I've heard Reggie Joyner say this, God's not looking for perfect pictures. You know, sometimes when we have a bulletin or we've got slides on the screen, we've got smiley, happy people with all their kids dressed alike in bows, right? And sometimes it's easy for some of us to think, well, I could never do that. I don't fit the picture. But Reggie says it this way, God's not looking for perfect pictures. God uses broken people. God wants to use us. And so today, that's the word. God's building something great and he wants to use you. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? And man, today, if you feel like you're a jailer, you feel like a slave girl, you feel like a soldier, or you feel like you're a mixture of those, those people, it could be that you feel like there's no way God could use you. But man, wherever God's placed you, he wants to plant you. I love that one street down 20 from us is Sycamore. Every time I see it, I'm reminded of Zacchaeus who climbed up in the sycamore tree. He climbed up in this tree and that tree became a platform for him to meet Jesus. And it could be that God wants you to be that tree this week in somebody else's life. God wants you to be an exporter of hope, whether you're a caretaker, whether you're a gardener, whether you're a small business owner, 
whether you're an assistant, whether you're a public servant, whether you're a dad, a mom, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're a businessman, whether you're an artist, wherever God has placed you, he wants to plant you to be the tree to help people see Jesus. Father, thank you for today and for the powerful reminder that when you build something at last, and when you build something, you're not looking for something perfect to start with, but you start with imperfect, broken people. And we also thank you that when you come into a person's life, you take their brokenness and you create something beautiful. For anybody that doesn't know you today, Father, I pray they'd come to know you. And for every person that knows you, but they feel um, disconnected, God, I pray that you'd help them find hope. And for wherever we go this week, for wherever you place us, help us to be a tree that helps people see you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.